Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. February has been a volatile month for markets following a number of inflation prints. And while there are signs that inflation is coming down, it is still sticky. Our guest today is portfolio manager Don Newman, who reminds us it's important to have something to offset inflation in your portfolio. So are dividends the best option in today's environment? And what economic data should you keep an eye out for? Don, who manages Fidelity Dividend Plus Fund for Canadian investors, answers these questions and more with host Pamela Ritchie today. Don also looks at what is happening in today's markets and what might be next from the Federal Reserve and Bank of Canada. He reflects on the journey we've had from record low interest rates into the peak of the pandemic and the associated stimulus, now on to higher interest rates and having seen higher inflation. Don shares that dividends can help maintain the purchasing power of your savings, providing yield plus growth. Also, looking at earnings season today, among other topics, Don shares which sectors and industries he is finding with attractive growth, as more companies are showing negative revisions. All of this and more today. Enjoy. And this podcast was recorded on February 28th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Don, let's let's go. We spoke, I can't remember how long ago it was actually, but for some time now, dividends have been a pretty good place to be looking. I mean, that's still the case. Why? Yeah. I think if we if we look back at sort of a number of years, the the, the world or the investment world has, has really sort of changed. We had probably a period of 30 plus years of just, you know, sort of falling yields. Uh, if you look at the last, uh, go back a couple of years and look at sort of the last five to 10 years, we had a sort of a market situation where, you know, really the Fed was pushing as hard as they could, couldn't get the, you know, couldn't get the world to 2% inflation. Interest rates were sitting at, you know, clo- close, to, close to zero. Um, and then we got into a sort of a pandemic where um, the market got basically fed um, monetary and fiscal stimulus with lack of a better term, a fire hose. And then we had supply chain disruptions and, uh, you know, interest rates have moved um, from, you know, zero to, you know, four and a half in Canada, maybe heading to five in the U.S., uh, at least on on the on the short end, and you know inflation hit eight uh, percent. That number is obviously coming down, but there's still a you know a case that you know some things labor out there is sticky. Um, there's going to be sort of a, a theme of kind of reshoring and companies bringing back things so their supply chains don't get mucked up. That's going to cost more. The question is, you know, the sort of the glide path of inflation from eight to six, maybe it's down to four, um, may seem pretty pretty reasonable. But do, does inflation end up being a little stickier than people think? If that's the case, um, your the portfolio you maybe had five years ago may not be super appropriate today, or you may need to diversify out with the idea that you need to offset the inflation. And one of the great ways you can do that is through dividends. And so you end up with a good yield but you end up with a good yield plus growth, 
And as a financial advisor, one of the key things you can do for your clients or should be doing for your clients um, is maintaining the purchasing power of your client's money. And one of the really good ways to do that is through uh, dividend stocks. I mean, you mentioned that the, the world has changed and, and, and it has. We've all kind of lived through that. How has your strategy or not your strategy, but how have things changed in the portfolio actually in the last year? Um, well, I, if, if you go back to what I was thinking last year um, for 2022, and I had sort of three general themes. The one was simply interest rates had to come up. They couldn't sit at zero while inflation was sort of, um, you know, started started to sort of ticking up and eventually ended up at 8%. So you needed some sort of inflation protection in, the, in uh, the fund. And that either came through companies that had really good purchase or sort of uh, pricing power, or, you know, there was some, you know, add some commodities into the fund. The second was with the idea that if inflation goes up, interest rates need to go up. The one sort of offset to that is as your discount rate on the market goes up, that generally means your price to earnings ratio or the sort of how expensive the market um, is needs to come down a little bit. So my thought was really sort of keep the PE or the valuation on the fund much lower than the, than the market and avoid what I thought would be sort of PE compression. And I'd started the year thinking, okay, well, you probably want some things as the market's reopening. And that really morphed itself into, um, as you know, a number of stocks were down a fair bit, just looking for opportunistic ideas um, that have been beaten up a lot, good quality companies. I think if we go into this year, it's a little bit less. Inflation hopefully comes down a little bit. You still need the pricing power, but it's more find companies that you have a good idea what they are going to earn. Because I think this year, a little bit less on the PE side, but you need to focus more on the earnings side. So we're about a year into the interest rate hiking cycle. And where last year you could say, hey, just focus on the PE, but, but the economy is really good. The interest rate hiking cycle should slow the economy down a little bit. And we've got to make sure that we're looking at companies uh, where we think they can sort of either earn through the cycle or with good pricing power or discounted enough on valuation that we can go and buy them. And we think there's really good upside over the next couple of years. And then opportunistic still plays in on things. So I think it's a little bit more about the earnings um, less about this sort of the PE, uh, and then just finding great companies that you know are opportunistically on sale. Right. I mean, is your sense? We ask everyone this. Is your sense that the market actually has discounted at least a soft landing? You think about the market this year, and you've really had kind of three things that have played played into it and started us off at least on a reasonably good note. Um, the first was obviously listen. Europe didn't go dark. The idea was, okay, if there's a cold winter, we're gonna run out of natural gas storage, people are gonna be using wood-burning stoves, Putin's gonna shut off the gas, it's gonna be a total mess over there. In fact, what we had is a really warm winter, and natural gas storage is full. Um, things have been a little bit sort of a little bit better than expected. So European markets um, have done relatively well, and that translates into companies that are selling in things to Europe. Number two was just you know China, the idea of the uh, sort of no COVID policy, and China has been able to sort of reopen itself, and the rest of the world there's no been no new variants, and that's been pretty good. And the third has just been really sort of inflation. 
And you know, it started to come down and the market views that very positively. Um, if you, as a little history lesson, basically, if you go back in the last 40 years, 1973, 1980, 1990, 2000, 2007, when inflation, and most of the times it's like the two-year bond kind of peaks out, the market basically takes a view as, hey, the economy's still okay, we're probably going into soft landing, and they start bidding up the, the market. And it's happened every time over the last 30 years. And I think where I stand on that is that's generally what the market does, but I think we got to be a little bit careful or a little opp opportunistic. Don't chase too hard. Don't be too excited um, because inflation you know, may, may end up being a little stickier um, at you know, still relatively high levels and the market won't like that as much. So be, in my view, it's really good start. You want the glide path. Uh, I think the glide path of inflation will be really important this year. It's just questionable whether you can go from eight straight to two. You probably have a few bumps along the way, uh, and that those bumps will offer opportunities to investors to go and pick things up um, at a discount. Do you need to see, in I mean, part of the inflation story, as you well know, is, is the, the question of margins that often yep. has to do with wage growth. What, what do you need to see drilling down into what you need to see on the PE side, earnings? Like, how closely are you watching yeah, so the margins is actually going to be, that's a great question. The margins, I think, last year was really interesting for companies. And you talk about companies that have pricing power. Um, we got to a point where it was basically inflation was so high that every company came in and said, well, look, you know, the price of this input cost is up 10%. It's up 8%. You know, we're going to, we're going to take 10% in pricing. I think this is going to be a little different this year because I think, uh, and demand was still really good. As interest rates sort of move through the system a little bit, you probably see demand slow down a little bit. Inflation comes down a little bit. So I think a lot of companies out there are going to be going and saying, hey, we'd like to take 8% price this year. And, so, and companies that distribute their products are going to say, hey, wait a second, your costs aren't, your input costs aren't up that much. And not sure you have the demand to push it that much. So at the same time, you're actually paying people. The wages are still a little bit sticky. So you're going to have to, you're really going to find out whose products are in demand enough. And that's the job for our analysts to go out and be calling these companies. All right, listen, can you take the amount of pricing you need to cover your costs? And I think this year, as demand slows down a little bit, you're going to see a number of companies where in the last year, things were pretty easy to take price. They're going to be a little harder to take price. Uh, with wages sticky, you're going to see a little margin compression. And that's where our analysts come in and you need to really focus on the earnings so we don't get uh, any surprises uh, with companies that uh, where earnings are, get, uh, get sort of snipped by uh, tougher margins. So interesting. Uh, lots of questions are going right into sectors themselves. So why don't we get into higher interest rates? What does it mean for banks? real estate, REITs. Um, so take us away on, on those fronts. Sure, I can move through. I, I'd say just, I'll get into those. I just moved through. In general, like I'm always looking at all the different sectors and it depends on where we are in the market. If say October, you go out there and you can you know, you buy a lot of things that are super discounted, a bunch of stocks that were down 40% that I thought, geez, these are really great quality businesses. Um, when things get a little more expensive, maybe move a little more defensive. But it's, it's, it's it's not one sector or another, it's where the opportunities are. And that's, we've got all these, we've got, you know, dozens of analysts and they're always, if there's an opportunity, hopefully they're bringing it by my desk. Really quickly, I'll hit, I'll hit some of the financials. Banks, it's, 
a case of I probably had more a year or two ago just because they tend to be a little bit early cyclical. Having said that, the dividends are good. The capital ratios, like if you think back to 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008, like 7, 8% in tier one, you're now 12, 13, you know, 14% sort of tier ones. Capital positions are great and valuations are reasonable. My focus has really been on companies or um, banks that sort of have better funding in terms of they, they have better deposits and they actually can serve internal deposits and they can sort of really benefit from the higher interest rates. At some point in the next you know, six months, a year, maybe we have to focus on companies that you know almost benefit or banks that are a little more torqued to lower interest rates. But for now, really good funding, good deposit bases that can benefit from those higher interest rates and sort of loan out more stuff, but you've got the internal funding that remains relatively cheap uh, is a, a, good, a good, good place to be. Real estate, that's one where higher interest rates obviously really, really do matter. And if you talk to me at the start of last year, 2021 was the absolute perfect year for real estate. Uh, and why? Demand was really good, interest rates were low, and credit spreads were tight. And that's the best you possibly can have. Like supply and demand, awesome. Demand, the economy really good, and cheap funding. If you talked to me at the start of last year, I would have said, listen, rates need to go up. But I would have told you probably from zero to two and a half, maybe three. Um, four, and to five, you start getting into sort of compression because a lot of real estate companies and why they did poorly last year was the idea that you were paying three and a half, four percent cap rates. And think of that as just the discount your rate, rate you use to value a real estate company. But when your cost of debt goes up to a point where it's five and a half percent, you can't go and do acquisitions and the market needs to say, hey, the equity needs to you know, somewhere trade off a cost of debt. Um, so a 4% cap rate needs to morph into five and a half and six. And that's sort of happened at this point. So I think the yields are reasonable as long as the economy um, remains okay. Remains okay. Um, it's a good place to be. You can see that a lot of the REITs have bounced back. Um, I'm still shying away from areas where demand, uh, where a slower demand probably hurts a little bit. So um, sort of things like office, you know, a, a little hotels have bounced back, but I just uh, sort of it's an area where sensitivity probably hurts. So a little more uh, stability, sort of apartments and healthcare. Um, I still like industrial longer term. Um, maybe there are areas you want to focus more in than than others at this point. This is it's going back to earnings a little bit. Don, we're seeing a lot of negative revisions. Is it a matter yep. of looking for less bad? Or actually, are you finding sectors or industries with, with earnings growth that, that you like? You just dig into yeah. that. I, I think it's, it's, it's company specific. So we are going to see a, the, the fact is analysts, and you know, I worked on the sell side at Goldman Sachs and did this, you know, did this for a living for, for a few years at the start of my career. Analysts are perpetually, um, too bullish on earnings. And especially when you get into a slowdown, uh, they're a little bit slow on taking it. The market kind of knows it, but we are going to be in, at least in the first and second quarter, and that's you know one of the things I'm focusing on here, earnings for the market are likely still a little bit too high. Having said that, the market is smart about this, and the earnings estimate, it will front run the earnings a little bit and discount some companies almost too much at times. 
So that's why I said you focus on companies where you know we're calling them up and they're saying, listen, there's demand's good, our margins are fine, uh, we know you know like the earnings trajectory looks pretty good. Um, so that's sort of one bucket. But you also want to say, okay, listen, I really like this company. We think their earnings are probably coming coming down a little bit, and you're going to know. Um, one, when they miss and the stock goes down a lot and we have the opportunity to buy it at lower levels. And these are opportunities that are actually, you think about, oh, it's going to be terrible, earnings companies are going to miss. These are, as a portfolio manager, these are the things you, you almost love. If you can avoid the company on the way down and your analyst says, listen, Maybe there's a little bit of downside, but I got 10%, five or 10% downside, and I got 50 or 100% upside over the next three to five, you know, two years, three years, four years. Um, the risk reward becomes so compelling at that point that you just sort of you, you, you get in. Those will be some of the more sort of cyclical stocks. And you look at, like I mentioned last October, it happened. There were a lot of stocks that were down, you know, 30, 40%. And you know probably bounce back, um, you know, thirty percent if you were buying buying them right. So I think numbers are probably a little bit too high. Earnings, the you're going to get, frankly, the the impact of the you know the multitude of rate hikes are going to take effect um, sometime in the next couple quarters because we're lapping interest rates starting to go up. But that creates hopefully should create some really good opportunities uh, for us, and I'm, I'm I'm kind of excited hopefully about you know missing the uh, the earnings misses, um, being able to go in there and scoop up some really good companies. Okay, that's so interesting, uh, Don. What about for those that that might say, look, looking at a slightly more defensive strategy, why dividends versus I mean, fixed income actually has some real income at this stage. How do you answer that question? Yeah, so I, uh, we, were, we were sort of chatting before we went on here, and it's amazing. Like I think a year and a half ago, um, you know, I would have put up, uh, you and I would have had a slide up, and uh, it was incredible. Like uh, high yield bonds in the U.S. and uh, Europe um, were yielding less than my dividend fund. Like it made you have no to say that twice almost. You know, just yeah. to. Like it's, I think high yield over in Europe at one point was like sub three percent. It made no sense. You were completely going to lose money on it. Like it was just crazy. Uh, and I used it as a, as a slide. You've actually the, the nice things for investors and conservative investors. You are starting to get some real yield in the market, and that that is great from a fixed income perspective. You know, I'm. I think you probably you know have to talk to sort of you know and have Jeff Moore on, but. You're, um, you're you're actually getting some reasonable yields for the first time in like a decade. It's it's great to see. The one thing I would say about just getting say like a five percent yielding bond or something like that versus a dividend is the bond over a course of ten. You know, if you buy a ten year bond, you're getting that five percent every year, and that that's it. You've locked in the five percent, and that's that's fine. From an income perspective, if you go and buy a four percent yielding stock. Uh, you get the income, but you also get the growth in income, and that's one of the things that I think people miss a little a, a little bit. So that four percent, if you're growing at eight, per, you know, at eight uh, percent, if that yield actually is growing eight percent, it's next year, you know, it's you know four four thirty, and then you're you're you know you're up another, you're up to four seventy, four eighty, and then you're eclipsing five. You know, after ten years, you're well north, of, you're sort of north of seven percent. So you're you're getting the increasing yield, which is looks wonderful on your on your sort of cost base if the stock didn't move. But the fact is, a really good quality company that's yielding seven percent doesn't stay at seven percent. You push the company's value up, so you're getting the yield, but you 
you'll also over time get get more income that's coming in, and you'll you'll you should get a price appreciation in the stock. So whether yields are good on bonds I, or getting better on bonds, there's still a really good case for the income plus growth to protect the purchasing power and grow that purchasing power over time. What would be an example? Because you mentioned, you know, even if there's some slippage in the markets, it'll actually provide a great buying opportunity. You're taking a look, wait, sort of seeing how that might work out. What's an example of how you've done that basically in the past? Yeah, well, I think about sort of back sort of later um, later last year, the, the idea of going and finding sectors where things have been really beaten up, but they should get better. So I think about like, um, you know, companies in the like that supply um, auto the auto sector. So like sensors and connectors, not necessarily the OEM guys who I generally have avoided over time. I don't think they're great businesses. But the idea that you know you had production uh, demand last year was off the charts, um, but production was all close to trough because no one could get any supply. Yeah, no one could get any supplies. You couldn't get, you think about your supply chain, what goes into a car, you got like a hundred hundreds of different um, uh, components that go in. And if you're missing one or two, you couldn't produce the car. So you had like what's called a SAR, which is seasonally adjusted annualized rate. It's basically the number of cars that get produced on an annualized rate that was near trough levels in North, in North America, uh, but demand was off the charts. So no matter what happens to the economy this year, um, even if it does go into a little bit of a recession, uh, you're, you're still going to get production that's up. And these companies were all being priced like trough earnings off trough production. Production goes up, earnings should go up, and you, sh you should over time actually have some reason reasonable winners. And our analysts pointed out a number of stocks that look good. Uh, you know, more components go into companies that uh, you use more of these components when, it, when the world changes to EVs. Um, so the EV, and you know, EV production becomes a larger portion of your total segment. So you've got sort of this natural demand. You've got a SAR that's rebounding or production that's rebounding, and you've got an increase in components that are used in every EV. So you got a secular tailwind too. So there's great opportunity to pick up um, some of those stocks that were trading really cheap at the time. Can you speak a little bit to the different strategies that you manage? Okay, so the main two that I manage, um, and the sort of the one I've been uh, managing the longest is dividend fund. And there's a little bit of an asset allocation component in it. There is a sort of a 5% bond section, but it's basically div dividend stocks. Um, it tends to be a little bit more what you'd see in your standard dividend uh, fund. So I, ha I do have some more cyclicals in there. I have some banks in there. There's a little bit of insurance companies. It's a little more sort of a broadly, I'd say broadly diversified through sector. Um, the other mandate I run um, is dividend plus. And it, has, it tends to be, it's actually a legacy of our old income trust product back from like the, the mid to, you know, 2005 era. And it tends to be a little more infrastructure-y. Um, so think of it more as a sort of an infrastructure fund. So it's real estate, it's pipelines, it's some telecom. I do sprinkle in some, um, some sort of other, just any really good ideas I have, but I've tried to keep the funds kind of separate and distinct. And a little bit of dividend plus actually goes into a dividend fund. So when you buy dividend fund, you actually get you know, the majority of dividend sleeve, but a little bit of dividend plus uh, in those two. So um, they are separate and distinct. I just think about um, dividend plus as being, having a little more of an infrastructure tilt. 
Hmm. Really interesting. Just remind us sort of globally, like what, what is your universe? Where, where, do, where should we know that you're looking around? Yeah, it, it's, I generally stick mostly in North America and it's, it's um, but you know, it, occasionally if there are some ideas over in Europe, um, I really like European companies that kind of trade it, ended up trading at a discount because they are in Europe. But uh, but sell sort of globally, so they it's like you, you basically can go go and buy a global consumer staples company, um, but trading at a discount. Um, is it a play on China? I mean, that is sort of one piece of the story this year, isn't it? The, the China a, reopening. A, a little bit, a little bit. But for you know, for me, it's more of sort of a play on sort of valuation and being able to get sort of exposure to the world, but uh, sort of at a discount to others. Uh, and then Canada tends to be sort of my home market. Um, a good portion of the funds always tends to be in Canada. Um, but we've got such a great U.S. team at this point, uh, it becomes very stock specific. Uh, and you really go to the U.S. I'm not interested in buying energy or banks or, you know, things that Canada's really good at, I would generally stay away. I, I don't need as much of. But if it's consumer discretionary, if it's healthcare, if it's, if it's technology, the things, uh, you know, some industrial type stuff, Things that the U.S. has sort of more broad-based of, and if we can find ideas in there that are trading at a sort of reasonable value, and you know, for people out there, let's sort of know, I classify myself as a GARP investor, so growth at a reasonable price, uh, but it's really the reasonable price that I care about probably more than, um, more than the growth, with the idea if you buy right, you do well over time. It's basically where our analysts can come up with the ideas. If you can give me a good pitch, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the stock. Okay, that's fantastic. So just to kind of wrap things up, we, you, you've made the point that inflation could well be here to stay. No one really knows. But this ultimately is a strategy to kind of see you through that. Is that fair? Yeah, I think for people out there, uh, you know, five, I'd say five years ago, you really could, because rates were pinned at zero, you really didn't need to worry about, you didn't have much of a hurdle rate you need to jump over and you could justify stocks trading at whatever multiples they, they want. There is a possibility, I, you know, I hope inflation goes straight back to two, but there is a possibility just with sort of embedded wages in the system and sort of the idea of sort of reshoring stuff and it still issues with supply chains. Uh, that inflation, you know, goes down, but maybe it sticks. It's sticky at three or four percent for a little while. Uh, and you've, as a, in financial advisors, you've got an actual hurdle rate you need to jump over for your clients. So, and main, trying to maintain that purchasing power for your clients is really important. Uh, and I think, unlike sort of five years ago, have like you almost, it's a prudent thing to do um, to have an allocation because I don't think any of us knows exactly how that's going to play out, but. Having the combination of income and growth is now almost a necessary portion, at least a portion of your portfolio. Um, so I, I think people should should definitely consider it for a sleeve of their portfolio where maybe five years ago you didn't have to think about it as much. Yeah, it's a really interesting new time. Very grateful to uh, get caught up with you. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Pamela. Always nice to see you. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts 
And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.